Church Close. Co-founder of Holler Hospitality, Jen Quist, is on the podcast today. Jen talks about growing up in the Bay Area, selling real estate in San Francisco for a few years before she says her true passion was calling her name. That led her to culinary school in New York City, and she actually worked back east for a few years before the Pacific Northwest was calling her home. She opened up a restaurant in Portland, Oregon, a restaurant she says she learned a lot from, by the way. She did some consulting work for other restaurants and bars in the Portland area before Holler Hospitality was born. She says she was really looking for a place, not necessarily that provided something unique or special, but really she wanted to give guests a sense of nostalgia and comfort. A little housekeeping note on this podcast, about 20 minutes into the interview, I just checked to make sure we were still recording because, you know, I'm a professional, and somehow that created a glitch in my audio. I apologize for that. Uh, my audio is crappy, uh, but Jen sounds fantastic, and really, she's the one that matters in this interview. So beyond all of that, the interview itself is incredibly interesting, and the story behind Holler Hospitality and how it got its name, maybe one of my favorites. Here's Jen Quist. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Good morning. Good. Thank you. Thanks yeah. so much for having me. Quick question. Does anybody call you Jen Q? Oh, I have so many. JQ, Jen Q, Jenny Q. Those yeah. are good. JQ is really good. JQ, yeah. I mean, again, the Q. Like, I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm getting married in the next year, hopefully. We'll see just because of COVID and everything. <laughs> right. um, but it's real hard to think of losing that Q. I love it. Okay, so you are going to take the last name of your partner. I will be taking his last name, yes. Hmm. But I'll probably, I think I'm going to make it my middle name. Okay, so that's what I did because we were actually, bef before I hit record, we were talking about last names. Sorry, everyone, just to catch you up. Um, but Baruki is actually my middle name because I love it so much. I didn't want to lose oh, it. Yeah, right, exactly. Like I, I'm going to, you know, carry it on. Yeah, absolutely, you so, should. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it. Okay. Enough of that. Um, Jen Quist, thank you for being here. You're the co-founder development operations of Holler Hospitality. That is right. Okay. Yeah. Restaurant group. In Portland, group. Oregon. In Portland, Oregon. Restaurant, restaurant group. Yep. Restaurant group. Um, we've been around uh, for, well, we, we started it six years ago, um, but our initial project um, opened in end of 2018. Hmm. So we've been active as a restaurant group, really, uh, since the end of 2018. Fantastic. Uh, where are you from originally, Jen? I'm from the Bay Area, uh, the East Bay. Um, and But Pacific Northwest has always really been my home. Most of my family either lives here in Portland or in Seattle. Um, both of my parents are from the Pacific Northwest. So I always knew I would end up here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, somewhere between Seattle and Portland, um, always felt more like home to me. For sure. The Bay Area has always had this sort of dreamy kind of feel for me. Like I've, I've always, I love oh, visiting sure. it. Um, what was it like growing up there? I loved it. So I grew up in a pretty small town in the East Bay. Um, so right on the other side of a big hill from Berkeley, mm -hmm. um, kind of, you know, just this, it was a real dreamy childhood as far as, 
you know, living in a bubble, like the um, rolling hills, green, pretty, you know, small town again, like I said, but it was very, um, you, you know, we were like a stone's throw, throw away from Berkeley and San Francisco, but mm-hmm. it just felt very like isolated in a way. And again, in a bubble. So not a lot of culture. Um, you know, I would sneak off to Berkeley for that when I got to be in high school, but, um, not a girl. I loved it. I mean, I love the Bay area. It, I think it's magical. I, I mm-hmm. agree with you growing up there. And after college, I actually lived in San Francisco for 10 years and loved that. I mean, that city is a you know fantastic city. Right. Um, and I know even Berkeley, this is may sound weird. You may get it. Berkeley smells different <laughs> in a good, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. yeah. It, Definitely. It's like just this balmy lavender rosemary kind of like <laughs> just it just smells good walking around in Berkeley. Is that weird or is that totally. accurate? No, it's not weird <laughs> at all. It's really funny that you say that because like I right, I can from being in high school on Telegraph because that's like where we knew mm-hmm. to go, mm-hmm. um, you know, right by UC Berkeley. Um it always smelled like incense. So I'm right there with you. Like, it, you know, it had this patchouli vibe. So I, I get it. For like sure. I can actually smell it and picture it and like exactly where I would be walking down Telegraph. So you're pretty spot on. Yeah. Well, smells are huge, especially for, I think, people who really love food and wine and all that kind of stuff. We, Definitely. We really do pay attention to smells, I think, more maybe than other people. Um, I know you went to school in Washington, right? Mm-hmm. University of Washington. What were you studying? Uh-huh. Communications. Um, having fun. You know, <laughs> I I really wanted – my dad went there. Um, and like I said, he he's from Seattle. Um, and so it was the only place I wanted to go. I applied, I think, to like nine schools, a couple of them UC, got into everything. But that school was impossible to get into. They only accepted 10% out of state for this giant school. Mm. And um, so it took me a minute to get in there. Um, And, you know, like once I got there, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Well, when you have, when you're faced with those kind of stats and you get in, you're, it's almost like I have to go now. I have to. Right. Right. And again, it's the only place I wanted to go. I mean, it's like I grew up, you know, kind of like just thinking of it as just being this dreamy place, which it is. It's a beautiful school. It's on the water. I mean, Seattle is such a gorgeous city um, and it's like right, you know, by kind of the heart of Seattle too, near downtown. So you just, you felt like you were in a city. It was really different for me from growing up in a smaller, you know, town in California. Mm -hmm. Um, It was great to like have all of this activity and diversity and everything that I just hadn't, you know, really been exposed to. I was going to say culture. There you go. Yep. There you go. Oh, I was two blocks from it (laughs) and it was everywhere. How cool. It was great. Yeah. Very, very much so. What were you studying? What did you want to be? You know, I don't think I necessarily knew. Um, I and and that, you know, really was evident when I graduated from college. Like I, I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I liked working with people. I knew that I wanted to be, you know, social and in, in whatever it was that I chose to do. Um, I wanted to live in San Francisco. So, like, you know, after graduating. And moving there, it was such a, like, time for, like, the dot-com boom. And so 
I just, I knew that again, I wanted to be with people and do something fun and work really hard. I've, I've always had a job since I was 14 years old. So, Mm. you know, working was definitely has always been in my blood, never allowed to not have a job in my family. Yeah. But I, but I really didn't have like this specific goal, you know? Um, and so moving to San Francisco, I got into the dot-com world and that, and like into the startup world. And that, was so exactly where I wanted to be. My dad is an, was an entrepreneur and I think I just had it in my blood. And again, it's why I don't think I like had this path necessarily that I was going down, but I knew that I was, you know, creative and, and again, loved working with people and, and just loved to be thrown into the fire Mm -hmm. and was, you know, just going to find that wherever I landed, which I did. And, you know, for my first job out of college was in a startup situation and it was so fun and it's basically, I think I've put myself in that position my entire career. Uh, being a part of something new, sounds like, mm-hmm. is really what lights yep. your fire. Okay. Definitely. Creating, yeah, from the ground up is definitely, I think, um, where my passion lies, for sure. Okay. So was that, what year was this? That's like, in, was that in the thick of the startup kind of? It was. It was, yeah, like 98, 99. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, wait, did you graduate? Did you graduate college and you graduated college in 98 and then moved to San Francisco? Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I read that you actually did real estate in San Francisco. I did. So I started my first job, um, was at a startup that I was the eighth employee of the startup called LoopNet, which is now a huge company and used by, uh, it was commercial real estate database basically. And now it's this big big, big company that everyone in the commercial real estate world uses, um, which was so cool. Like eighth employee as like an assistant, you know, then was running my own department by the time I was like 24, because that's just, or 23, because that's just the way that it worked with, you know, startups back then. Like you got in, you worked crazy hours nonstop and you grew really fast in whatever it was that you were doing. So, um, I was, so I was really like in commercial real estate in a sense at that point, um, with this company. And then I actually went and worked for my dad for a few years. Um, I was in client services, so I was, you know, um, helping him with a new company that he was starting and working on the client services side and then really got into residential real estate, um, because I wanted I wanted to be, I was traveling a lot for working for my dad all over the country. And I really wanted to be like grounded at home back Mm -hmm. in San Francisco and real estate was just like the perfect opportunity to, you know, kind of create my own business and, um, be in San Francisco and like really dive into that city because that's what you have to do when you're in real estate. Um, and, uh, that was so much fun. I loved it so much. Real estate still such a hobby, I say, of mine. Um, I'm totally fascinated by it. But as when I was in there for the dot-com boom, I was also there for a crash. And so oh, yeah. that was kind of when I decided to get out of real estate. How um, long did you do real estate in San Francisco? Uh, for about four years. Okay. Um, but I was, but like dabbled in it before that, but four solid years. So I, what kind of real estate are we talking? Like homes? Residential. Okay. Yep. I can't but even, I mean, insane. I, I mean, I'm so curious what that was like for, in, San, in a city was, like San Francisco. It, well, and also it was, so it was at the height of everything. So like all of my friends 
who had started in startups, you know, years before were making so much money. Sure. Was like also with real estate, like no money down, you know, you just are paying all cash for places. And so it was the perfect time to have a real estate career. I'm, I mean, truly like it was, my friends were dropping and you know, that that's what real estate is. That's just all, your network. Right. And yeah. so like, I just was just working with all of my friends all of the time and they were dropping like $3 million in cash. And it was, I did not have that money, but it was really fun, you know, working with them and finding these incredible places and yeah, seeing everything in San Francisco. Um, this is also before San Francisco really like, boomed with all of this new development. It mm. was still, you know, preserved in that classic San Francisco time. Um, I mean, it was happening. New development was coming, but it but it hadn't really hit yet. So that's what I love about that city. You know, I grew up going into the city and, mm. you know, with my dad, because he worked in the city and, and having lunches in these classic spots. And so I just, I loved being a part of San Francisco in that way when I was selling. Oh, I'm sure. How fun. How exciting. Um, and yeah. Do you watch great. Do you watch any of the um, like real estate reality shows? Any of them? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, every single one, probably. <laughs> so I don't know a ton of them. I, I don't I, I know they exist. Um, there was one I've seen a few episodes of uh, Help Me. It's selling. Is it selling Sunset? Does that sound right? Selling Sunset. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. I mean, yep. Take out the drama. The real estate right. is fascinating to look at. Some of these homes in the hills. Wow. And just so much money. I mean, so it's much like money. it blows my mind. You know, that's just what, I mean, that's real estate. But it's just, it, it, it I mean, yeah, I really, it, being in San Francisco and doing it, it was so much fun yeah. to um, to get to see, to be exposed to that for sure. Some of the clients I know that are on that show, they're like, yeah, his budget is, you know, some ridiculous million dollar whatever amount. I almost want to be like, nah, that just can't be right. real. I know, but but it is like, I mean, it's just right. Or you right. When like someone walks in and they're like, oh, I can spend, you know, eight to 12. And you're like, it's a big gap. Like, yeah, you have eight and then you can go to 12. <laughs> you know, it's pretty, right. it's pretty unbelievable. No, it's incredible, but I do understand the fascination of real estate, especially when you're talking about high dollar homes. They they're yeah. insane. They're beautiful, and some of those even um, in San Francisco, you're talking about you know maybe historic too places. Well, right, yeah, and that's the thing. I sold mainly in the north part of town, which mm. is like Cow Hollow, Pacific Heights, mm. um, you know, the Marina, which is like finite in its you know inventory because yeah. there's no development really and you can only go so it, it is it's like you know all of these beautiful old condo yes. or not condos but you know things that have been turned into condos mm-hmm. and people who are um remodeling them but still just the charm in there with the built-ins and you know just all of that just it's so special okay so you're doing real estate in san francisco is is it at this point that you take sort of a hard left into the, the uh-huh. culinary world. How did that happen? So I was, I was doing back then. I was doing a little bit of catering also. So um, oh. I would just to make some extra money. I would cater for um, a friend of mine's company. 
I also had friends in San Francisco who were opening restaurants and bars left and right and totally fascinated by that, you mm. know, and um, not like doing anything with them, but like so involved in the process because I was really, you know, interested in it. Um, and then I was also doing a little bit of, so when I would cater for a friend, it was mainly just like serving and that was it. But I would also throw parties and do a little bit of catering work for um, brokers for open houses. Mm. And um, so, you know, it, it was something that I was really interested in as far as like food, restaurants, hosting. I was raised by hosts, my mom and dad. Um, so like I, you know, grew up being around parents who love to throw parties and everything. So anyway, it was just like this whole world that I also really loved. And when the market started to tank, I was like, you know, I kind of want to change of scenery. I've been here for 10 years. Hmm. If I don't move somewhere now, I'll probably stay here forever, which wouldn't be the worst thing, but you know, I wanted a change. And so I, you know, started really thinking about culinary school and I looked into programs in the Bay Area and nothing really like was that interesting to me. And I actually went on a trip to London with my dad and looked at Le Cordon Bleu there. And that wasn't really interesting to me. And I was like, you know, then maybe this isn't for me. And then I went on a trip to New York to visit my brother who was living there at the time and went to the French Culinary Institute just on a tour and was like, my mind was blown. And I went home and I was like, I'm packing up. I'm leaving San Francisco. I'm moving to New York and I'm going to culinary school. Just like, like it that. Was just, it was just like that. And it was just going there. And, and if it hadn't been that school, I don't know if I would have, you know, actually gone through with it. But it was just such an easy decision the second that I saw it. Um, how old were you when you decided to go to culinary school? I was... I think 31. I was so much older than everyone that I went to school with. Yeah. And that's kind of the path that I, as far as the questions go, but yeah, before that, did you have, was there a light bulb though, that you're, you know, you're living this life in San Francisco, you're happy, you're doing things, you're making money, you're successful, but did something happen where you're like, I, you know, you said, if I don't do it now, I, I may never do yeah. it. Was that part of it? Like I, this is that was part of it. And you know, as sometimes this happens, a relationship had ended for me. And I just yeah. was kind of like needing something new and fulfilling. And I loved real estate because it's like running your own little business, right? You're responsible for everything. You're responsible for your marketing. You're responsible mm -hmm. for everything. I loved that, but I wasn't creatively fulfilled. Um, and that's why I was like, you know, dipping my toe into like catering events and things like that. Or interested in what my friends were doing with restaurants. Like that was just pulling me, but I couldn't figure out where I fit in with it. And like you said, everything was going really well for me. So it's like, maybe don't rock the boat. And then when I saw this school in New York, I was like, let's rock the boat. Like I need, I need a change. And it was just, it was, again, it was like so instant and I just knew, and it was the best decision that I've ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, miss the money <laughs> of real estate, but everything else just totally fell into place for me with that decision. It's scary at all? Or did you, was it something like, it sounds like you just said, no, this is it. And you, you did it with gusto, but was, was it scary at all? Like at times where you're going, ah, did I make the right decision? No, you know, it's funny. Mm. I'm someone who like, I, I really jump in with both feet. Like I'm a planner for sure. 
and I take my time with things. But when something in my gut feels right, um, I go for it. Awesome. And um, yeah, I, I never, ever, ever questioned it. Like all my friends were having kids, getting married. Like I was on this whole new life with like literally, you know, 20 year olds every day, 18, 19, 20 year olds, because this was their school, you know? And so you would have thought that maybe I would have guessed <laughs> what I was doing. Cause it was like such a different path, but it felt so right the whole time. Mm. Like, and it was, so it was an intensive um, program what the FCI used to do. And then they turned into the international culinary center. And now, unfortunately with COVID they're no longer there, but it was a six month program, intensive program. So you're at school seven days a week, um, fully immersed, um, cooking from day one. Um, the greatest program Hmm. ever. Um, I just, you know, and to be a student at that age too, like, like I said before in college, I went to really have fun Mm -hmm. and didn't probably take my education as seriously as I should this I was like the nerdiest most probably annoying (laughs) student ever I was so into it flashcards the works like I (laughs) I loved it yes so yeah it was great that that is great I like that um this that is super nerdy I I think too when you're looking around and I used to say this to some of the reporters that I hired when I worked in tv that don't look at everybody else's path, right? You could see someone next to you getting a job in Dallas or San Francisco or wherever. Don't get caught up in that because your path is your path. And it doesn't really matter what everybody else is doing. You can't compare what those people are doing. You really have to focus on you because your path is going to take you to certain places at certain Mm -hmm. times. And so it sounds like that's what happened to you. That's uh, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with that more. Um, My path has certainly been different than all of my friends, I would say, you know, along the way. And and like, of course, what, you know, everyone tells you as far as get married, have kids, you know, all of that at these times in your life. And I just I I was on a different plan. And um And I'm so grateful for it because like I said, making that decision changed my life. It changed absolutely everything. And and I'm so thankful that I did it. When you make a decision and you're like, nope, this is what I'm going for. And all these years later, you look back and you're like, man, that was the right decision. Pat on my back. Good for me. Yes, that was exactly what I should have done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are times where, again, you know, I'm like, should I go back into real estate? It's a lot better financially, you know, but then I always come back Mm -hmm. to the fact that like, I was, I feel like I was just kind of not, not lost before I made that decision, but I just didn't know where I wanted to be. And then once I made that decision, like over the last, you know, 10 plus years, my life has taken many turns, but it stayed on a track as far as, you know, being in the restaurant industry and um, all of the opportunities that have come up, good or bad situations. Like I've stayed on this path and have really loved it and really appreciated it and haven't and only have wanted to jump off of it, you know, just because it's like a moment of fear. Mm -hmm. But all in all, I have really like loved, you know, and appreciated where I've been. And I can't say that. And that's also age too. But like, I can't say that from my twenties to my thirties that like there was anything that was ever like anchoring me, you know, and this Mm -hmm. really 
did that. Ooh, I like that. Something that anchored you. I really like that. So culinary school, what did you want to do? Did you want to be a chef? Was that the end goal? I wanted to, I wanted to have my own catering company. Okay. So I, so as I said that I'm someone who jumps in, you know, full force, I'm also a planner and I didn't feel like, like I could have probably started my own catering deal back in San Francisco, not gone to school, you know, come up with it, started a business and, you know, probably would have been fine. But I'm someone who likes to have like a foundation in anything that I do. Um, I don't like to skip steps. Like I like to know that I'm like as well-rounded as I possibly can be, um, you know, and, and plan for things as best as I can. And so I wanted that foundation of school and I knew I didn't need to go you know, necessarily to like a two year or four year program. Like that's what was so great to me about FCI, um, even though you get so much in those six months. Um, And so I knew that that would really help me feel, feel certain that I could, Mm -hmm. that I had the skill set to start my own business, you know, and go out and get business. It's credibility too, right? Yeah. Okay. A hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. So that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then that changed over the six months that I was there, um, you know, and, and cooking more and then I, I mean, it didn't necessarily change, but like I, as I was there, you know, over those six months, I was like, maybe I won't move back to San Francisco. Maybe I will stay in New York. Mm -hmm. Maybe having a catering company in New York isn't the best thing. Maybe I will work in restaurants. You know, it was like, definitely a time for exploration for me um, and trying to really determine where this would take me. But I knew that I was in the right place. Like I was 100% certain of that. As far as being in the world of culinary arts. Yep. Yep. Okay. So then I know you worked in a kitchen uh, shortly after. I worked in Mercer. Yeah. I I worked at Mercer kitchen, which is a John George restaurant Mm -hmm. um, in Soho. Um, and in the Mercer hotel, I worked there, hated it. Um, it was, it was so brutal. I just, we had a real tough chef and, um, I just didn't like it. Like I loved being in a restaurant, but it was just like, I, I, I felt like that's where like my age was just, I don't know. Maybe it was an age thing. Like where I was like, I'm not hungry enough to be like begging for the chance to work like mm. the pizza oven, you know, and like, I want to be doing more, like I want to be creating more. I don't really necessarily want to be doing this. Like I want to, like, I was like, you know, always looking at the way that like the restaurant was working as opposed to like being focused in the kitchen. Um, you know, I, I wanted to just have my hands in more. Um, but it was really great for me to learn kitchens, um, you know, and learn how, how back of house works, um, which, you know, through the years, I've found to be such a great strength in what I do. Um, You know, not a lot of front of house people know back of house. And I did that. And then I actually, the, you know, the most, um, I would say influential job that I had while I was in New York, which people always think is just the strangest job ever. But I went to Saks Fifth Avenue, the flagship store Mm -hmm. and um, worked there mainly doing catering. Um, and you know, it sounds like such an odd job because there are two restaurants in this. I don't know if you've been to the Saks in New York, but 10 floors, 
it's ridiculous. Like, I mean, every floor is its own experience, has two restaurants. But what I did was really on the event side. Um, one of my closest friends from college was the VP of PR there. And um, she was like, we're throwing all of these events for like, you know, Gucci and Chanel and whatever. And we're serving them like frozen appetizers. Would you be interested in coming in and helping us, you know, create a program that is more local and, you know, some beautiful food that actually is aligned with the types of events that we're throwing. Mm -hmm. And so I went and we did, you know, over 3000 events a year. And it was just because there were so many different events happening every single day throughout the building and across the street where corporate was. And it was, and that number sounds nuts, but that's legitimately what we were doing. And it was just a small team of us, but it was such hard work. And it was so good for me to learn operations. Like I really, really, really under started to understand the operations of food, Mm -hmm. you know, of how, um, of how it all worked, like from start to finish, from planning a menu to ordering, to executing, to Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, like we, you know, would throw parties on these different floors for like Oprah and we would be cooking the food out of like an elevator shaft because that's what we had on that floor. So it was like creating a little like mobile kitchen there that food would be good enough for a a party like that. And so it was, it was like the biggest crash course on again, like operations, making things work and doing it really, really, really well Mm -hmm. because the standards were set, you know, so high. Right. And it sounds like all of these things, working in a kitchen, uh, doing events at Saks really set you up for what you're doing now. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and and I would say even like my real estate career did too, Mm. because that was like, you know, learning again, how to run my own business, how to market, how to, you know, do all of those pieces. And so when I look back now, you know, everything was just such a building block on top of the next, um, And it was like this education that was being created as I was, you know, going along to create the position that I, you know, I am in now. I mean, a lot like and some other things that have happened along the way. But um, it was certainly a really solid foundation to move to Portland with to then, you know, start um, like a true restaurant career here in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. So was that your next move from New York City to Portland? Yep. Okay. uh, had an opportunity to come out here. I, all I wanted to do was get back um, to the West Coast. So I was in New York for a few years at that point, and I missed the West Coast. I bet. So I'm a West Coast person. I'm assuming you are. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm from South, South Carolina, Carolina originally, and okay. uh, lived on the West Coast since I was 16. And I just, especially okay. the Pacific Northwest, I don't know if I could live anywhere else. Well, right. Yeah. It's, I mean... You, you're one or the other, I guess. I think I so. mean, some people can do both, mm-hmm. but like, I just, it wasn't for me. I love New York mm-hmm. and I love the East coast, but like, I will never live there again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get yeah. It. and so I was looking for opportunities out here and an opportunity came up, um, that this, uh, investment group had a little, like a, a few restaurants that they had in their portfolio and they, excuse me, um, were tanking. And they basically said, you know, you have somewhat of a business background, you have 
obviously a culinary background. If you can bring these restaurants to profitability, we will fund your own restaurant. Hmm. And so, yeah, I flew out a couple of times, saw the restaurants. We brought them to profitability in six months. It was not hard. I mean, it just, it was like basic operations really? um, that needed to happen. Yeah, it was, it was, it was hard, obviously, but not hard. Like it wasn't anything that there were just so many issues that it just needed a cleanup. Hmm. Um, and so then we started working on um, my first restaurant in Portland, which was, it'll be 10 years ago in May which is crazy um, to think about. But that was, you know, I had lived here for about a year when we opened that. And that restaurant? And that was was uh, Riffle Northwest. Okay. Um, a catch-inspired seafood restaurant. Wow. In 10 years. So it was 10 years ago. Yeah, this May, which is just wild to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moved here and um, realized living in Portland – there wasn't a lot of seafood. Um, and I thought that that was so interesting being so close to the coast. Um, and so I grew up fishing, uh, fly fishing a lot with my dad and, you know, I love the ocean. Like it just felt like something that I really wanted to do. And, um, and, and also felt very strongly about sustainability. And so, um, you know, created this concept that was sustainable, seafood um that lasted you know I think we were open for a year and a half um there was a lot that happened in that year and a half that um determined its end Mm -hmm. but it was such an incredible experience such an incredible um restaurant we're we're actually going to do a 10-year anniversary because we're all still so 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 close Um, like that's still my family to this day. And, um, you know, it was a very, very special time in my life for sure. Um, your dad, first of all, sounds awesome. Actually, your parents sound really awesome. He took you fly fishing and they hosted parties all the time. Yes. They sound great parents. They sound incredible. Were you really quickly, were you the kid? I just talked my last interview. She's a mixologist in New York city and, the reason she says one of the reasons she went down that path was because of her grandma D she threw a party for just no reason whatsoever. And I asked her what kind of kid she was when the adults threw the party, did you run away or were you right there in the mix of all of it? Oh no, I was in the mix always. <laughs> oh God. Are you kidding? No, yeah. it's like, that's, I loved it. Me My too. parents threw parties like for everything. And you know, they were always the ones with the, you know, whether it was a school fundraiser or holidays or whatever. I mean, I grew up raised by hosts. You know, that's what I always say. It's definitely in my blood. And my grandma, too, was like the most incredible cook and host, you know, every Mm -hmm. little detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think on some level, a little bit of the same. Just uh, we loved having people over, I guess, which not necessarily a party, but just very much like come over for dinner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A social household. It's like that's. Mm-hmm. A, a fun place to be for sure. Very, very social. So when did Holler Hospitality happen? So you're, you're in Portland, you've moved back there, you're opening, you opened this restaurant. Um, when did Holler Hospitality, I know it was six years ago, correct? Yeah. So year, so years later. Right, right, right. So in, in the, in between there, I ran a bar, um, opened and ran a bar called 
the Multnomah Whiskey Library, which was um, something very different for Portland and an incredible experience. Um, it was just a little bit more high end than what mm -hmm. Portland was used to, especially at that point. Um, so I did that for several years and then I went off on my own and I started consulting. Um, you know, I saw through my own experience and through losing my first restaurant, um, that people in this city at that point, not saying now, but at that point really didn't know how to run a restaurant as a business. And, um, hmm. that was one of the biggest lessons I took from losing my restaurant was like, Oh, I wasn't totally looking at this, like from a business angle, mm -hmm. like I was looking at it, um, more as like a creative project. Hmm. And so I went into consulting to really support, um, you know, chefs or bartenders or whoever want, who wanted to open their own restaurant, look at it from more of a financial angle and, um, and, and create like a sustainable business as opposed to just like a fun concept. And, you know, knowing that that's why so many restaurants don't make it yeah. really quickly. Do you categorize losing that restaurant? as a life lesson or do you consider it like a failure how do you categorize that it's the biggest life lesson hmm. i i had for sure for a million reasons yeah um and yeah i mean there are so many tied up in it, it just like everything like i look at everything as you know a building block or you know setting me on my path in a new right. direction and that certainly did that that coupled with running the Multnomah Whiskey Library, which was such a beast of an operation and a very successful one financially, the two together, so close together, was really what helped me um, just understand how to do this well, you know, mm -hmm. um, like and and to not make the same mistakes that so many people easily make right. because we have such a romanticized, you know, idea of the restaurant industry and it's so easy to fall into that. I still fall into it all of the time, yeah. you know, and getting like creative and excited about things, but you've got to look at the, the other side of it. So it sounds like you had a setback followed pretty closely by a win. Yes. Okay. That's, that's it's helpful. Crazy. <laughs> it, it, it was really helpful because it was because Luke, it, it took me a long time to learn the lessons in losing that restaurant. Um, but I did. And so to have something that yes, was like an immediate pick me up almost. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was, it, it was amazing. I feel incredibly blessed. That was a tremendous opportunity. Um, that's helped me out a lot in my career. Yeah. yeah it, it sounds, sounds like, like to me, your work ethic is insane and you're just somewhat of a workhorse where you're just like, go, go, go. And I think for those types of people, we get really invested in what we do. So when you do have that setback, it's almost like this dramatic, the world is over, I, I'm, I'm done, um, I need to go look for something else. And then when you have that win, it's like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. Yeah. I'm on the right path. Okay. Phew. So true. Yeah. So true. And I've, and I've, I've, I think, and again, this is like an age thing, like mm -hmm. they've started to feel less extreme to me in the years to follow. But yes, a hundred percent. Like when I lost my restaurant, I was like, I'm moving, I'm out of the restaurant industry. I'm done with this. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And, um, and, 
and I got back on track and, and the Multnomah Whiskey Library was definitely a huge part of that. It grounded me even when, even when I was asked to do that project, because it was literally like me closing down my restaurant and the owner of that place coming to my restaurant as I was closing it being like, Oh, well now that you're free, can you come over here and help me open this place and help me with my other restaurant that's not doing well? And I was like, no, I, I, I'm sorry, dog. Um, I'm surprised mine have not barked. You're good. I'm shocked that that's the first time that they have. Um, (laughs) yeah. And so I, um, I even was like, I'll do it on a consulting basis. I'm moving to Seattle. I'm moving back to California. Like I'm not committing to this. And then it just really snowballed into like the most amazing experience. Mm -hmm. And so I then stayed and then stayed in Portland. Um, and I credit that for keeping me here for sure. Well, thank goodness for that. Um, and it, it also sounds like you're no stranger to creating menus, creating a bar program, creating really what makes a place successful. Hence the consulting obviously that you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like we talked about before, you know, starting from scratch, um, it's something that I love to do. I love looking for, um, opportunities. So, you know, where there's a void in the market, um, and understanding, you know, what that could be is really, really fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, and so, yeah, creating things that really speak to people instead of being super personal, it's something that I've also started to appreciate and understand a little bit better. Like it's always great to, you know, have your personal attachment um, to something and to a concept. But like I've started to like something changed for me where I was like, I need to like look outside into the community a little bit more mm-hmm. as opposed to like doing something that's just for my own ego, you know, or yeah. my own like personal want. Um, and so that, that really helped me with my consulting too, you know, of like telling other people to do that too. Like, don't hold it so close to the chest. Like that's going to get you into trouble. Like open, open your eyes a little bit more, see what's in front of you. That's going to help you have a more successful business than, you know, thinking that your way is the only way. A little less heartbreak too. Sounds like for sure. Yeah. Um, Definitely. In Portland, in a, in a city like Portland, I'm sure too, you can get really any type of food you want in Portland at any time. I mean, that's just that's just reality of, of a city like that. So the challenge for you then sounds like finding something that maybe didn't exist or something that people were looking for. Well, I think it's more the opposite, actually. Like, I think Portland is such a fun experimental city, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've watched it over the last 12 years grow so much in every direction. And I think what I started to see and like where holler hospitality came into play was more like, okay, what's familiar to people? Like you're getting all of these like crazy and inventive, you know, okay. Like, donuts or whatever like I mean all of these like wild concepts that people are doing like why don't we think about things that are like familiar and nostalgic and comforting comforting in a way yeah and you know and like have like an anchor to something Mm -hmm. and make you feel something you know and that is actually where I went in my consulting and then into holler hospitality it's like 
you do it's connect with people. Like that's, what's really important. You know, of course, create like people need to create and, and come up with wacky things and whatever, but like, also it's really nice to connect with something, someone over something that like actually sparks a memory for them, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and nostalgia became like a really big part in when we created Holler Hospitality um, of, of what we wanted to, you know, accomplish with, with the concepts that we were creating hmm. for that reason. And that's that a... was the void to me. Simplicity and, and nostalgia okay. was like really the void of what we were missing in Portland. So, so it wasn't, wasn't so much that, that yes, you, you can, can find... You know, you can find all sorts of things maybe that are very similar in the city, but that was really for you because um, that's the second time you've mentioned the word anchoring. So really finding something that sense of stability for, for people. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, go ahead. Did you have a thought? No, 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 no. No, I was just going to probably go off more (laughs) I love I love people who just go off that's uh why I'm in the interview business um but no I think there's something about that half the cookbooks I own are like comfort food based cookbooks right I mean right and it doesn't have to be like for me comfort food is different from you know someone else's definition like for me it's it's like truly like a memory Mm -hmm. or something that's very simple Mm -hmm. um it's not like mac and cheese, although that can be comfort food for someone for the mm-hmm. same reasons, you know, comfort food for me is like a good steak and, you yeah. know, and like what I grew up eating, mm-hmm. um, with my family at dinner, like, and, and again, things that are very simple and not overdone is how I feel comfortable in a dining experience. Right. Like, not something that's not so intimidating because, because I mean, let's face it, there are right. lots of restaurants out there that can be intimidating when you go and sit down and start to order and you're just like, uh, I have, I totally. And I've had so many of those experiences, you know, I mean, like I've been in food for long enough, but I've dined at every kind of restaurant sure. imaginable and I've done plenty of traveling and, you know, I try to check out everything and don't just stay in what I'm comfortable in, but that's just not where I want to be at the end of the day, you know, in those experiences, they're great. They're beautiful. It's just not for me. It's not for or you. Or what I want to also be creating. Not, not your path. path. I get it. Um, not my path. Yeah. Holler hospitality. So where did this idea come from? Because this is essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's a restaurant group. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So, um, it is now, so I was consulting for a, ho- a a new hotel project um back in I guess like 2016 mm-hmm. um in Portland um called Woodlark Hotel and my job was to find the right food and beverage partners and there was a a restaurant and a bar and then meeting spaces and this hotel um was just this incredible project as far as, you know, there's not a lot of like historic buildings in Portland. And this was two buildings um, that were from 1907 and 1911 that they were combining to create this boutique hotel, um, which just was very cool to me that, that, that preservation was happening with, you know, these beautiful buildings. And so um, I spent a year trying to find the right food and beverage partners and traveled all over the country and um, 
just, you know, had a, had a great bar group out of San Francisco that wanted the bar. And then in our own backyard was the chef, chef Doug Adams, um, who was down the street in another hotel at the time, who I was, the, was the first person that I asked when I started this process, he said no. And then after a year of traveling all over the country and going to Canada, um, like to meet all of these different chefs, he was like, I want in. And, um, and so, uh, you know, he basically though, all he had was the name of his restaurant, which was named after the town that he grew up in, in Bullard, Texas. And that was it. He didn't have, you know, I mean, he had like an idea of a menu, but like, I was meeting with all of these restaurant groups who had like, you know, packet like decks and menus and right. everything. And he was just like Bullard. That's what I want it to be called. <laughs> and I'm like, this is kind of a huge multi-million dollar project. We need a little bit more. And so I worked with him on basically creating the concept, creating the menus, creating a tasting for the owners of the hotel. And there were two other groups at this point that were really interested in the project who I'd been working with for months. And he did a tasting, he knocked it out of the park. He had every answer ready to go for them as far as like how the business would run. Like we really worked, you know, on putting this together. I put like a deck together of the concept. Anyway, they were like, yep, it's, it's you. And then the next day he's like, I don't have anyone to do this with me. Will you do this with me? And, you know, I was still consulting at this point and I was like, I can't get back into restaurants like that. Like I just... You know, I, my consulting world is so nice and like just cozy and I like it. And, um, this is a big risk. And I ended Mm. up saying yes. And I was like, I'm going to get back in it. And, um, and then the bar group out of San Francisco, um, it didn't work out. And then we were like, we want the bar too. And so we had to do a lot of convincing for that. I had 24 hours to come up with a concept for that didn't sleep all night, put one together because they were meeting with a, another bar group out of New York um, who really wanted it. So we got that. And then um, there was also a coffee bar connected to check-in and the hotel wanted to run that. And I was like, you know, it makes no sense for F and B to be split up. So we'll take the coffee bar also. And so that was basically Holler Hospitality was created. Wow. Um, on those three. And then since then we've opened up a couple of other places, but that's how it started. That's Bullard Tavern. I'm assuming. Yep. So Bullard Tavern is our restaurant. Abigail Hall is our bar. And then we partnered with our friends, um, good coffee, which is a coffee, um, company in port in Portland to do the coffee bar. Fantastic. And so, um, it was sort of born from there. And then did you just, so Abigail Hall and Bullard Tavern, that's in the same location? I, yep, and same with the coffee bar. They're all under one roof Okay, and, um, in the hotel. And then at this point, was it just like, how did that happen? Did you just say, let's call this something or let's just, do, do you want more? Do you want like, oh, let's open up another restaurant? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we well, we, so what was important to us with creating Holler Hospitality is there's still, you know, some judgment on hotel restaurants. Like, even though they're very cool and they're all over this country in, you know, beautiful hotels, great restaurants, um, you know, 
fantastically talented chefs, people still have this like idea of a hotel restaurant. And we're like, okay, if we create our own group and we aren't like part of the hotel Mm -hmm. necessarily, and Mm -hmm. we're a restaurant group, this then, you know, like gives us our own identity basically. And so, you know, that's why we originally did it. Um, And then we basically were like, we want to do more, you know? And so about a year into all of that being open, that's when we started really looking for other opportunities and, and created our next two concepts. Was that one concept? Holler. Holler. PDX. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just, yeah. What was, uh, what's the judgment with restaurants and hotels? I don't know. Okay. I mean, I think people still think that they are like, you know, stuffy or whatever, like just not enough mm. personality, you know, and we, we worked so hard to create these like true identities and concepts of this restaurant and this bar, you know, they really, really have um, such a unique design to them. They, they work with the hotel, but they are their own mm. animals. And it was really important for us to, feel like a standalone restaurant for our staff too. you know, not feel like you work in a hotel. We want you to still feel like you work in a cool restaurant in Portland, you know, and you're not part of this massive operation. So there were like many reasons why we chose sure. to, you know, try to um, section it off from the hotel. Absolutely. Makes sense. Uh, why Holler? Why the name Holler? Is there a story? Oh, um, yes, there is. It's like my favorite story. Yes. It, um, <laughs> We were, so Doug, who I co-founded the company with, um, we were doing a consulting project in Milwaukee. And um, whenever I go to a new city, I like research like crazy where we're going to go eat and drink. And I I like you, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like I'm nuts. Like till the point that the plane lands, I am like trying to find everything possible. So I found this place in Milwaukee called the Holler House and, or Holler House, not that. And um, it was in this like neighborhood, not near anything, not the safest neighborhood. And um, I had read on Wikipedia that it had the first bowling alley in the country, in the base of this house. And so I was like, we got to go check it out. It's still a bar. It was like on, and it was on like a bunch of like, you know, lists and everything. And so I was like, you know, this is, I, I need to see what this is all about. Sorry. My dog just ran in all unexpectedly. Good. All um, good. And so we went and we were with someone who was from Milwaukee and she thought we were nuts to want to go there. <laughs> and we walk in and this is literally like someone's house, but a bar and um there are bras hanging from everywhere it's packed full of people and everyone is sitting around the table with this 93 year old woman and we were i was just like what is going on like there were just so many things to see Mm -hmm. turns out that it was a fifth generation um bar marcy who was a 93 year old woman it was her birthday party she still worked the bar five days a week this was her night off because she was hung over from the night before taking too many tequila shots. Her whole family was there. She lived like literally you walked through a door behind the bar and she lived like I had to use the bathroom in her apartment while we were there. Her grandkids were down in the basement with the pinball, like bowling alley that was still in operation. And they were the pin setters. 
And we hung out with her family all night long and had literally the best experience. Like one of my, in my top five favorite nights of my entire life. And, and she was just so incredible. We have a, a drink of a, um, like a little Miller High Life pony and a, a little scoot of tequila called the Marcy on our menu at Abigail Hall. And um, yes. we hung out with her all night long. She And it also that drink comes with a dirty joke like that we have in a little capsule because oh my God, she stop. told the dirtiest jokes ever and like made Doug blush because they were just so outrageous. And anyway, so when we were trying to name our company, we were like, like, what's our favorite thing that we've ever done together? And both of us were like, it was Holler, Holler House, of course. And so we named it Holler Hospitality. Okay, that is maybe one of the best stories that I've ever heard. <laughs> it was, it just like, I get kind of chills like talking about it because it was yeah. so, it was such a memorable experience. Mm-hmm. And she was so, she unfortunately passed away um, two years ago. I was going to ask. It, like, just left such a mark, you know, and we let them know that we named the company that, and, um, she was supposed to take the train out with her friend to come and see Abigail Hall. Um, but you know, that didn't happen because of COVID and and everything, but, um, or her family was going to. And so, yeah, it was a real special moment for sure. I, that's so great. I love that you have a drink named the, the Marcy. I mean, did she Marcy like, yeah, like she had such, she played such a huge part in all of this. It sounds like, yes, it was, I mean, it was, it was so significant, you know, as far as, and it was just like, so what we wanted to do with Mm -hmm. holler too, like when I was talking about like simple dive bar, like again, we, the two of us, we did so much traveling before we opened these places and we ate at like some of the best restaurants, you know, that you could eat at in this country and all over New York, New Orleans, like everything. And that was like by far our number one experience. And it was just all about, you know, the people and that setting. Do you know the reason for the bras? Yeah. I mean, she was like a pretty significant, female figure in the Milwaukee area. She at one point lost her liquor license um, due to like a mismanagement of mail. And she, that was her livelihood. And so she basically like went down to city hall and started like this little protest that then, then turned into like this, you know, huge mob of people outside of Holler House and bras became a part of it, you know, women supporting women. And so hanging bras from the ceiling, like was all a part of the, the story and supporting Marcy and Holler House. The story gets better and better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rich with material. <laughs> like, I mean, it was it just incredible. <laughs> um, I looked at some of the menus. Um, uh, Abigail Hall, Bullard Tavern, Holler PDX. I noticed... I think there's a burger on every menu. Is that correct? Okay. Any reason? Are you a burger fan? I am for sure. Nostalgia again. Yes. I mean, the, you know, and like, that's just what people like. And so they, each of them have their own distinct personality. Mine. So, you know, Doug created, um, well, not the one right now at Bullard Tavern because we have a new chef there, but a, the original burger for Bullard Tavern. And it was based off of um, like a burger that he grew up with in mm-hmm. Texas. And then the one at Abigail Hall is a cross between In-N-Out and Jack in the Box, which were the two burgers that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then the one at Holler is just a really good burger that, you know, smash burger that people um, yeah. crave. So each of them have their own identity. Who does not love a burger? I'm here for it. I That's, on, yes. that's one of my, in all things that I crave in, in the food world, it's always a cheeseburger. Always. A good one. A good one. Yeah. A good one. Yeah. Um, I also really have trout on the menu at Holler PDX, and I love that. That really caught my eye. Something, you know, well, it was, it was also a big connector for, for when Doug and I became partners. Um, he's a fly fisherman. Yeah. And, okay. Um, and I, you know, grew up with that. My, my dad and Doug were also close and fishing was just a, a thing between us. And so, yeah, trout was so cool. on our opening menu at Bullard also. Um, do you see hospitality groups like this? Um, is this, is this something that's a trend? Is this something that's always been around? Is it something that died and is coming back or is, is it, has it really changed as far as, as far as like hospitality groups? Yeah. I mean, I think that they've always been around, you know, I mean, I think like we look at Danny Meyer, like has, right. you know, the most successful hospitality group there is. Um, I mean, and the, and they're all over the world. And um, what's different though in Portland is that there hasn't really been too many and so it's really cool to see them being developed um mm-hmm. there have been a couple over the last 12 years since i've lived here but only a couple and wow. so really really cool to see because it just creates such great opportunity if you do it well as far as you know uh, like fostering talent and raising talent up through a restaurant group because you're just you're just providing you know additional opportunities for others is the way that I look at it and um Mm -hmm. that's what I love most about it is like growing people and like having you know directions to like point people in um while you're still working with them which I love and so it's really cool to see it happening more and more in Portland I love it are you seeing more women in the hospitality industry? I know for me just doing research, you know, there's more women mixologists who are carving their own paths and creating bar programs, distillers, uh, restaurateurs. So I know it, it seems like it's definitely something that's evolving and changing. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, thank goodness. You know, thank it is. Goodness. I still am not seeing as many restaurateurs. Um as I'd like to see, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's happening. Like you can feel, you can feel the ground shifting for sure, which is great. Uh, one question I had for you in, within the hospitality industry, you know, I wonder if there is, you know, is there a certain point where you're a bartender or a server and that shifts, there's a shift there where they go, I can actually do something more with this. I can become I can become a, you know, a bar owner or I can do consulting work and start, you know, consulting with bar programs or the same on the restaurant side. Do you see that shift at all in people when, you know, like you, you've, you've had a job since you were 14 and, and maybe you're a server, you do catering, you go to culinary school and there's that shift where it becomes now something that's just a job that turns into a career. Yeah, it's really fascinating see that happen really um and i and because i've been doing it for long enough now i see it more and more and you know what i do when i hear that is you know when you start to see someone think i'm going to make a career out of it 
I probably, it's like the mom in me jumps in and is like, okay, if you see a career out of this, if you want to own one day, like here's all the things that you need to do. Mm. Cause I still go back to, I never like losing that restaurant was the hardest thing that, you know, ever happened to me professionally. And I just never want someone to go through that sort of heartbreak. And so, and it's so easy to happen. Like, I mean, it's why restaurants and bars fail so easily COVID aside, like, you know, and, and why we have such a failure rate because again, people like romanticize it and it's like, okay, don't skip the steps, like learn how to run a business, please. Like you'll carry your passion out for a lot longer if, if you know, you know, how to actually make that switch and, and make it in a smart way. Wow. So yeah, consulting, you open businesses, you did real estate, you went to culinary school. What can, what can't you do, Jenquist? What cannot you do? Oh, I don't know. I just became a mom. So oh, congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So I have a little four month old. So that's my my latest project to tackle. (laughs) Girl, you're busy. You're busy. I like it. uh, We're going to we're going to wrap up and get to the final three. Uh, But the end goal with Holler Hospitality, is it to maintain? Are you looking to open more restaurants? I mean, I know the pandemic was a, a doozy for this industry. So what's the end goal? I think it's to maintain mm-hmm. for now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and see where I'm, you know, I, I am a doer and I always like growth. Um, but I just, I think that after, especially last year, like 2020 was about survival last year. I was like, let's grow, 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 grow. We're, let, let, like, let's keep going. And I just, I wore people out, you know, I wore myself out. And so it's like, let's just relax for a little bit. I mean, not relax, but, mm-hmm. you know, let's do the work for now and not think too much into the future. Let's get on our feet. Let's support our community. Like, let's bring things back to life and get this city back on its feet. Yeah. Um, and then go from there. Like, it's just growth is just not anything to think about. And that's really hard for me to say because I'm always wanting to do more and more and more and more and more. I'm getting that. I'm I'm feeling that vibe yeah. from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Just chill. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I think, you know, yeah. it, it sounds like you do have crazy work ethic and it's hard. It, it is hard when you're just like, I don't know if you have days where you just don't have a lot on your plate and you're like, oh, that's going to be nice. And then that day comes around and you're like, I don't know what to do with myself. Oh, yeah. Can't do it. Yeah. I mean, having a newborn was like other than having a newborn being the greatest thing ever was also the greatest thing ever just Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, something new and stimulating and just incredible. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on that. Um, Let's wrap up and get to the final three best advice you've ever been given. So it it goes back to Ripple. Um, My dad and my dad, um, when I, when that restaurant closed, he said, write 50 lessons that you learned. And I was First, I was so angry when we closed and I was like 50 lessons. I didn't learn. I don't need to learn 50 lessons. I was like very um, put off by it, Uh but it was the best thing that I ever did. It took me about a year to write 50 things. And because, I mean, that's a lot of time, you know, to think through that, all of the things that went right and wrong and, you know, and to find 50 things that I learned, but what it what what really came out of it was a lot of what we've talked about and also having accountability. I was like blaming everyone else 
and blaming like, you know, the city of Portland and my location and my partnerships and all of this stuff. And it was so important for me to learn about accountability through that. And so it was, it set me off on just such a good path and was the best exercise I've ever done in my life. Man. Um, so that, that, that would be the best advice. Thanks, Thanks dad. Sure. That is good advice. Yeah. Riff, Riffle really, that changed you hugely. Oh, yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, we're all still so close. Yeah. It was a very personal thing. It was a personal concept, but it was also a personal place to be every day, you know? And yeah. it was, it was my life. Like it was, you know, I actually, you know, I, cr- I credit it for a lot. Hmm. A lot yeah. of what it taught me. It sounds like it. Absolutely. Uh, what's your happy place? I mean, the easy answer is obviously my new daughter, but, um, I would say, I would say anytime I step on a plane, I'm like, I get a rush. It's so crazy. Every t- I don't, it doesn't matter where I'm going. I could be going to like Bakersfield and like, <laughs> I like, I'm so excited to like, no offense to anyone from Bakersfield, no. but like, I love, I love going somewhere mm-hmm. and traveling. So, and I, I notice it literally every time I step onto a plane, I get this like little exciting feeling and I just can't wait to start traveling again. <laughs> that's, that's my happy place. That's so great. I'm the opposite. <laughs> Do you hate flying? I hate it. I'm like the white knuckling, like just like, yeah, the whole time. But that's, yeah, I, I grew up on planes and I like, I get it. I mean, Mm -hmm. but I just, it's like, it's such a place to just like get away from everyone. Mm -hmm. It's your own space. You know, you're off to somewhere. It's the sense of adventure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. In all things, food and drink, what do you crave? What always sounds good to you? I know it's crazy because I would say something like a burger or a steak, but I, I thought about this because the, we went out for our anniversary last week which was like our first night out away from the baby. And I wrote to someone like, I'm just craving sitting at a bar. And then I thought about it and it's like, I crave experience. Like I crave being in a place that like, I feel so comfortable, like having a martini, you know, and just like, just like the sounds and the movement of a restaurant or a bar. I crave that way more than I crave food or drink specifically. Like, and it's true. I like, I think about all of my favorite experiences that I've ever had in food and drink. And I, it's always about like the whole experience. It's never about like that bite, you know? Um, so I, I crave experience for I sure. I get that. That's, I, that's probably the first time anyone has said craving the experience, but I so get where you're coming from. Like there's nothing like just sitting at a cool bar and ordering yeah. a fun cocktail. Totally. And it was the best. It lived up to it. Like it was all I wanted. And it was like ever. and it wasn't, again, it wasn't about the martini. It right. was just like sitting at that bar. I didn't want to leave. I was like <laughs> so happy. I loved watching everything. Like it just mm-hmm. was the greatest. Yeah. It's a sense of theater in my opinion. It's like, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Watching the show. Um, I get it. I totally get that. Uh, Jen Quest, you have been fascinating. Thank you for, um, Uh, shedding some light on the hospitality industry because I've learned a lot from you today. I've also learned that I don't want to open a restaurant. (laughs) It's not easy. No, it's not. I am so impressed by you guys to not only open a restaurant, but to maintain 
and have that consistency. I feel like that may be the hardest part is the consistency, right? So when I go and drink and have a drink at the bar, it's the same drink that I got a month ago. Yep. It's so hard. And it's, it's so confusing at times too. Like when I remember when I opened Ripple, I was like, Oh, I'm so used to events, you know, where it's like, you're done with an event. And I'm like, we have to do this again and again and again and again for however long, like, you know, it's, it's, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's mentally challenging at times, but it's also so rewarding. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Okay. Jen Quist, co-founder of Holler Hospitality. Fantastic story too about Holler Hospitality. (laughs) I absolutely love that. That's definitely going to be one of my um, social promos because it's such a good story, but thank you so much. You've been very, very interesting and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and kudos to all the success. Thank you so much, Trish. Really appreciate it. been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Glose. You can watch this podcast and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.